Welcome to the 11 Dubcast presented by Safe Flight Auto Glass. Keep the drive going with Safe Flight. I am Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end. My friend, it was all that it was hyped up to be. Urban Meyer, as desperate for a win as he had been since he's been the head coach at Ohio State. And then the player he refused to waver on, even as so many in the fan base had, delivering a perfect fourth quarter to save the season. Johnny, the backstory on this we talked about. We talked about how this was desperation for Urban, how it was elimination for Ohio State with a loss, how it was validation for Penn State with a win. And Urban Meyer and Ohio State hold firm behind a perfect fourth quarter from JT Barrett. If you are scripting this out and saying, how did you want this to go for maximum impact and effectiveness? (laughs) It played out on Saturday night at the shoe. Yeah, I mean, the entire the entire fourth quarter, I was like, I know there's a, a possibility of Ohio State pulling this off, but I just kept it in my head going, nah, nah, no, that's this would be this would be stupid. This would be ludicrous if this happens. It's just something that you would never expect or write or even, you know, hopefully wish uh, to come true. But JT Barrett was perfect when he had to be yep. literally perfect. And even his mm-hmm. mistake ended up actually you know, kind of being a backdoor help to Ohio State in terms of time. So uh, everything went perfectly for Ohio State in the last quarter. Plus, I mean, really, it was 16 for 16 in the game, not 13 for 13. Um, But, yeah, I just – it was an incredible game. It was everything that anybody could have possibly wanted. And I won the 11 Warriors uh, uh, prediction. So I was the closest. And and that's really all that really matters, I guess. So (laughs) – for the second time this year, I, I beat everyone else on the site, and I'm very proud of that. So you did end up on the site. You ended up picking Ohio State to win. I did, and it was so I. because no, I'm trying to remember when we, what did we do on Dub? Did you pick them to win on Dub or not? Yeah, I did by a couple points. Okay. I think it was like 35, 33, or something close. Okay. There okay. were there were yeah. a couple of naysayers on the site who I, you know, I think they were justified in maybe picking Penn sure, State, yeah. but uh, I I was able to get the closest this time, and I'm very well proud of myself. However. <laughs> For the season standings, I believe I am still third from last out of like 11 or 12 oh, people. That's, that's you know. neither here nor there. Let's yeah. focus on the present. Exactly. Um, yes. Let's 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 start with JT, who, um, you know, th- there are so many similarities between this season and 2014. And we've talked about them before on this show a lot. And the way that they line up, it's it's just crazy how how the, how the how this season lines up. The only difference from what I can tell is that Michigan State in 2014 happened this week. First weekend in November, not last week in October, because Ohio State beats Michigan State the week after being ranked 16th in the inaugural college football playoff poll. Um, but other than that, it all lines up the same way. And we'll get to the, the poll, which was released um, tonight, a little bit later on. But um, the, the Barrett's best game as a Buckeye was that game for me. I mean, he was just spectacular in that game. It, it really vaulted them, vaulted him, put him into the Heisman race. This game does all the same things. Um, it, it puts, it now makes him a legitimate player for the Heisman trophy. Um, he's not the front runner, um, but he's the legitimate player. We, we have talked a lot on this show about, and we've talked a lot about it on the television show about how those five, are we there yet games were stat pad games that allow Heisman voters who don't watch Ohio state play every week to look up when he plays a big game and say that the stats previous to this back up the play today. In other words, if you just are watching Ohio State against Penn State and JT Barrett's spectacular, you go, gosh, what's this guy been doing all year? You look at his stats, you go, holy cow, he's crushing it. Right. So it, 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 that's the, from a Heisman candidacy standpoint, he now has Heisman moments. He has a perfect fourth quarter. He has a statistical catalog now that, that is as good as any, and he's in the conversation. He's one of four or five, six guys who can win it. 
and he's one of them. And we haven't had one of those, a legitimate one of those. JT finished fifth um, that year. Zeke was pretty much eliminated after the Michigan State game in 2015, I think. You know, I think he ended up finishing fourth. What did he finish, fourth or fifth or something like that? But he was pretty much out of it. You know, he wasn't like – there was no way Zeke was going to win it after the loss to Michigan State. JT Barrett can absolutely win the Heisman Trophy. If you look at – uh, the game against Michigan State, he's going to get a pretty big showcase game this week against Iowa. Then, or I'm sorry, Penn State, showcase game against Iowa. A decent one against Michigan State. I think it hurts them that it's noon. That always takes a little bit of the juice out of it. Um, but then but then you've got Michigan to close the season, which will have all the eyes, most of the eyes of the country, and then the, the Wisconsin game in the Big Ten Championship game. Boy, if he puts a couple more of these together, he's got a real legitimate chance to win the Heisman. First time since Troy Smith that you've had somebody in this type of position. Yeah, well, I mean – you know, I agree that he's definitely got, you know, an inside track on the Heisman if he can kind of keep padding his stats and do well in the final game. Frankly, I don't think he really needs to replicate this performance exactly. And I don't know yeah, that anybody perfect. could expect him no. to do that as long as he performs well against the rest of the, you know, the teams that they play. I think he's got a really good shot at ending up a finalist uh, regardless of, of, you know, how the how the huge games kind of play out in terms of, uh you know, him throwing 350 yards or something crazy like that. I think as long as he just keeps his head above water, this to me is going to be what somebody points to uh, towards the end of the season where they go, should this guy deserve to go and, and be a finalist? Because honestly, and, and I feel very strongly about this, this is probably the best performance I've ever seen from a quarterback wearing an Ohio State uniform. And I know that's a really crazy thing to say. I know there's a lot of no. good performances. But to me, from what I've personally seen, I can't, statistically I don't know what else you point to but in terms of what he had to be for the rest of the team like I don't know that he could afford to be anything less than what he was in that fourth quarter and to have that kind of pressure and to respond the way that he did uh to me it's one of the best performances that a quarterback has ever had at Ohio State and and not only that but historically he ties Joe Germain for the most 300 yard passing games in a career um I I just to me, this is a huge, huge statement game for his legacy, and I hope people treat it that way. I don't want it to be just they like will. another bump in the road on the way to Michigan no. or a big championship. No, 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 they will. I mean, he's got to validate it over the next month. Yeah, you know, they can't lose, and he can't, you know, he certainly, and I don't think they will lose. I mean, he can't be the reason. I mean, I think for, you know, he he's now in the conversation with Troy. Um, right. And, and, you know, Rex Kern, if you want to go that, and and I think, I think for whatever reason, Braxton's forgotten, but I put him in that category too because of of what no quarterback's been asked to do what Braxton was asked to do. Yes. No one's been asked to do as much as he was asked to do in terms of basically being the entire offense. JT benefits greatly from playing with a lot of great players. And and Braxton did too, but but JT had two great, you know, it just was Braxton had so much that was on his plate in terms of creating offense, whereas JT is a distributor of the offense. But to your point, the, the fourth quarter against Penn State. Now, here's the crazy thing about the Heisman is that Heisman voters have short memories. That's so true. it's really right. it's really important that he's great against Michigan and Wisconsin. Th- those will be, you know, if he's going to win it. I mean, I think he's set himself up to be, you know, it's crazy because, you know, you could say he and Saquon Barkley and Baker Mayfield, the kid at Stanford, the kid at Notre Dame, those are kind of the the kids who are starting to separate and three of them are in the Midwest. So the question is going to be like, who takes the Southern vote? Like that will be <laughs> the next thing, right? Like, Cause that there's all of the, there's really no candidate out of the South. So someone's going to, there's all those voters down there. They're going to vote for somebody. 
And in many cases, they'll vote for the last person they see. So as long as Ohio State continues to win, they will see JT Barrett on two huge stages, Michigan and Wisconsin, and, and he'll have an opportunity to get some of that vote from around the country. Because the Midwest, mm-hmm. the Midwest is going to split really three ways. Um, and and so that'll be kind of the way that that plays out. So so that'll be something worth watching for sure. He's he's in the conversation and he will be a front runner. I, I he got so much talk, but the other thing I wanted to discuss was an high state defensive line that right. as the game went on dominated just yeah. <laughs> dominated play and was so great and um and to me what what showed remember last week we talked about validation for James Franklin's program he's not yeah. there yet and and the the big difference was the organizational depth of Ohio State. Number one, the bye week helped Ohio State a bunch because Penn State simply ran out of gas. They ran out of gas and the, they couldn't do anything in the fourth quarter. They were they were gassed. And then the organizational depth. Ohio State was able to roll so much talent at Penn State that it overwhelmed by the time the game was over. Probably the ones on both teams that you know the starters are probably pretty evenly matched. But when you have to start digging, Penn State had some key injuries during the game. And when you start going to the twos and the threes, Penn State just does not have the organizational depth that Urban has created in Columbus. Yeah, exactly. And they they had to shuffle some guys around like the offensive line and do a lot of things yeah. even defensively. I mean, that that is going to kill you against a team like Ohio State that can rotate so many guys on the defensive line and attack you in so many different ways. That was the thing that really kind of stuck out to me towards the end of the game is that it wasn't like one dude disrupting no. everything on the it wasn't like an indomitian sue right just like where he's yeah. got to be triple teamed every play you have to account for every single player on that defensive line on every single play because they will just eat you alive look saquon barkley is an incredible player he's in, yes. very versatile he can do anything on the field but running wise aside from that long touchdown that he had he had nothing on the ground oh, he was a, and even and even with that he still only barely averaged over two yards per rush and he rushed over he 20 had negative yeah didn't he have negative 40 some yards on half on, a, on, a, on a, all those carries i mean because yeah, it was all i mean he was, he was, he was that's the difference for, yeah he was getting tackled right? for a loss all over the place yeah. they were in the back there's nowhere for him to go exactly you rewatch so, it as soon as he's getting the handoff there's defensive line right in his grill there's right. nowhere he's, for him to go right and so that is more of a testament, I think, to the defensive line than anything yeah, against Juan Barkley. I mean, he's he's clearly clearly a great player, but they just played extremely well against him. Even the time when he got a little bit of daylight, they they did so good at you know staying in their lanes, balling him up, not overcommitting on his runs, and just allowing him to come to them. And they made some excellent open field tackles. I know Fuller had that incredible tackle that oh, kind of by the legs of him that, that might have saved a huge gain. Yeah. Uh, the defensive unit as a whole, I think, just played very disciplined football in general. But the defensive yep. line was brilliant, especially shutting down that edge and not allowing to get out. Uh, it was it was a really, really great performance when they absolutely had to deliver on that. It was. It was fun, and it was everything that you wanted out of it. And it's that's the beauty of college football that that so it seems every week, you know, it delivers on a Saturday like that. And you know, on this past Saturday, we were the beneficiary of it. It was fun to see. Still to come. We'll be joined by Mark Morehouse of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for a preview of this week's game at Iowa. But first, the college football playoff poll is out. We will tackle that next. And uh, I want to let you guys know there's a clear choice for Autoglass Repair. And we're so proud to have them as a title sponsor of this fine program. They've been with us all season long. Uh, it's a Columbus-based company, the industry leader. I'm talking about Safe Flight 
auto glass. They become that leader for a very good reason. As simple as I can put it, no one does auto glass repair and replacement like Safe Light. Here's how it works. You're on a road trip, driving around, taking the kids. You get a chip in your windshield. It's dangerous. You want to get fixed right away. You go home. You call Safe Light. Folks, they either repair it or replace it at your convenience. I've had a Safe Light experience. It was spectacular. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Keep the drive going with Safe Flight. All right, back into the program. Typically at this time, we talk about Michigan, but they, you know, they're irrelevant at this point. So the first college football <laughs> playoff poll of the season was, re- was released this week. And I was on the radio in Columbus in 2014 when we got our first date, dose of this. And we didn't know, Rothman and I are doing the show. And we didn't know how to react to it. We reacted to the college football playoff the way that we reacted to all the other polls, which was a poll mentality. What I mean by that is if you are ranked a spot and you continue to win, you do not get jumped. That's the way the AP and college and coaches polls have worked for forever. If you're number one in the country, you stay number one till the end unless you lose. Sure. That's just the way they do it. The college football playoff taught us in year one. And so week in, week out, we'd come on. Every Wednesday after the playoff was released, and we would panic, and we'd go, my God, Ohio State's 16. And even the one right before the Big Ten Championship game win over Wisconsin, Ohio State's 6. And, and I remember arguing vehemently, look, there's no, you can't jump Baylor and TCU. You can't. <laughs> you cannot do it. If they both win, you can't do it. Right. And they both won, and they did it anyway. So what that taught us, but again, we were going off a of poll mentality. What that taught us was that the college football playoff committee puts this college football playoff poll for out for one reason, one reason only to make a television show that it's not, yes. it is not, it means <laughs> nothing. It is the biggest waste of your time that you can have. And so with that is the prelude. The first yeah. poll is out. <laughs> and they're creating a television show. And so they can't put Bam at number one. Cause that's not going to create a whole lot of buzz. Is it? No, Bam has been number one all year. So who do they right. put at number one? Georgia, right. Georgia, Georgia. So Georgia's number one, Bam is two, Notre Dame is three, Clemson is four, Oklahoma's five, Ohio State six, Penn State seven, Wisconsin is nine as the other Big Ten representative. Look, folks, this is a television show. That's all it is. There is not a single thing that matters in this poll that will matter a month from now. Nothing. Right. Zero. Zilch, zip, nada, nothing. They wanted buzz, so they put Georgia at number one, and they put Notre Dame at number three. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, none of this matters until the last two weeks of the season. But did you watch the uh, the pre poll, uh, I guess, episode that they had last week, where they were essentially just preparing to prepare <laughs> for the like they were saying, right. like, "Hey, I, we don't have anything, but this is what it would look right. like if we did." Right. Uh, tune in next week when we do have something, and it'll just you know be as inconsequential and as much BS as it is uh, in our practice round. I don't look. I know people like polls. I, I think it's fun to kind of watch the evolution of them as the season goes on. But in terms of actual, first of all, in terms of actually determining how well a team is playing, they're essentially useless until about now in terms of like overall rankings. Right. Secondly, the though, traditional polls, yeah. Right, the traditional polls. As far as the college football playoff that goes, it's it's so much about what have you done for me lately, and they. None of this matters, like I said, until the last two weeks of the season. Uh, the championship games are going to be a big deal. The rivalry games are going to be a big deal. But if everything remains the same until then, they, you will see movement. They will move some of these guys oh. around based on some like you know relatively 
small margins of victory and stuff like, oh, somebody only won by 14 when they were fair by 17. They'll move some crap around for whatever reason. But the truth of the matter is the only thing that matters is the top six or seven teams going into the last two weeks. And as long as you're there and you went out and you're Ohio State, you're going to the, the football playoffs. Like, you're, you're there. Yeah. So you don't have to yeah. worry about, you know, TC or somebody else jumping Ohio State if everything remains equal because it's simply not going to happen. They're not going to put a team like that over Ohio State if the resumes are similar. So, you know, if, if no. there are four undefeated teams and everybody really loved them, then they're the huge, these huge programs. And, yeah, maybe worry a little bit, but that's not going to happen. So Ohio State wins out their end, the end, and that's, that's all yeah, you the, can really ask for. I think the only thing that you – you know, the only thing that, I, that will be – look, the Big Ten champions getting in, yeah. period. They're not right. going to not get in. So, you know, I think Ohio State would jump Notre Dame in that scenario. They're not going to take two SEC teams. Georgia and Bama play each other. Um, so they're not going to take two yeah. SEC teams over Ohio State. You're right, Ohio State's in. To me, the interesting thing, the more interesting thing is Penn State. Um, because I think the best thing that happened in the game, the biggest winner outside of Ohio State and, J- and JT Barrett and Urban Meyer on Saturday was the Big Ten. Because Penn State looked really good. I mean, they, right. they go to a tough place to play and they play their asses off and they almost pull it off. And, um, and so I think Penn state, if they could win out and it'll be hard, it'd be interesting if James Franklin keep that team together, uh, and keep them focused now that, now that they hit this hiccup a little bit, because if, if they can win out, Penn state's got a real chance. The big 10's got a real chance to get two teams in, um, Georgia still has to play Auburn. And then of course they play, will play Alabama in the, in the big, in the sec title game, but the sec East is garbage and outside yeah. of Bama, the SEC West is pretty much garbage. That's just a bad league this year. Notre Dame's schedule the rest of the way. They've already played their big boppers. They've already played Georgia, who they lost to at home in a close game, and they they beat USC. So, the, you know, their schedule remaining, there's nothing really on there that's going to boost them through the roof. And the same thing is true of Clemson. If Clemson wins out there, they're obviously going to get in uh, because they would play Miami in the, in the ACC title game. But, you know, right. Florida State, you thought that would have some juice. It doesn't. You know, there's not a whole lot of juice on the Clemson schedule either. So, from a, Oklahoma's the team, you know, that that could keep Penn State out. And I think Oklahoma, for the for for the sanctity of college football, Oklahoma needs to stay ahead of Ohio State as long mm-hmm. as they win out. I mean, they won sure. in Columbus. It would be silly for Ohio State to be ranked ahead of Ohio State. I saw Baker Mayfield said something about that today. He's right. That'd be ridiculous. And I think, you know, even in the most scarlet and gray tinted glasses, there's no way you could say that Ohio State deserves to be ranked ahead of Oklahoma when they win at your place. Um, so you're, you're exactly right. We all can acknowledge that if Ohio state wins out, they're clearly in the playoff. And then it's just a matter of how the rest of this shakes out. And if Penn state, there's so much that can happen on a weekend week out basis with so many weeks left that I could see cannibalization, cannibalization in the big 12. I could see, you know, maybe some things happening in the ACC or to Notre Dame. I could see a lot of, of two lost teams and I could see a Penn state team maybe getting in. Um, you know, sitting there at 11 and one, I, th- I think that that's in play. So I, th- I think, you know, from the big Ten's perspective, this was a pretty good weekend. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Penn state, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule and I'm, I'm thinking about what they can do to bounce back. And if they, they go ahead and they beat Michigan state on the road and then they, you know, they got to throttle the last three teams on their schedule. They, they have an schedule? outside possibility of getting that. Uh, they have, have to regain the form though. I think that they had. You know, before they played Ohio State, I mean, they've got to show that Saquon Barkley can be more consistent, and and that's something that I've kind of been knocking on him this year, where he can be up and down. If he goes back to that Heisman form and 
they look really scary on offense again and they maintain, you know, a pretty good defense, I think that will that will help them out a lot. But again, like I said, it's all about what have you done for me lately? And they're going to have the disadvantage of maybe not having a game to Give prove themselves, whereas some of the other teams will. Do you have it in front of you? Yeah, yeah. Who do they play? I know they play Michigan State this week. Who are their last three? So they got Rutgers, they got Nebraska, and they got Maryland. So they got to blow Ooh. those guys out. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's going to be rough because you look them. at some of the schedules, the other schedules of these teams, and they've got a lot more of a chance to make a statement yeah. in the eyes of these, guys, of these uh, playoff voters. So Penn State's going to have to have – what they're going to have to have is they're going to have to blow teams out, and then they're going to have – the other thing they'll need is they'll need Barkley to, ha- to put up, you know, 325 total yards a game. Right. A couple of games, you know, like he'll right. have to have some Heisman moments and he's had exactly a lot of them. Right. I mean, he's spectacular, but um, they'll, they'll need to have some big moments, you know, from, from them over the next month to, to really get people's attention. Cause that schedule, um, yeah, that's nothing that's going to make anybody too excited. I forgot that the big 10 tried to manufacture a rivalry between them and Maryland as their rivalry game <laughs> to end the year. So that's, right. you know, they lose big there. That's a tough spot. So they, yeah. you know, they're, you know, they're they at Michigan state this weekend. That's, that's really, and that game doesn't have a whole lot of juice, so they're in a tough spot. That 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 is that's not beneficial to them. They'll they'll need they'll need the rest of the of the country to cannibalize itself for sure in order for them to get in. I think I think that's who does, uh, that's who does Oklahoma sport. play going out for the rest? I of know the they year. play Bedlam this weekend. Yeah, um, you know, so they they moved Bedlam so that just in case they play back to back. So that used to be the last game of the year. Now they moved it all the way up to early November. So they play the Bedlam game against Oklahoma State this weekend. That game will have some juice. Oklahoma State just with the one loss. And then I would think, you know, if TCU could win out, the worst thing that happened to Oklahoma was TCU losing to Iowa State. Um, so right. so now TCU, you know, that game doesn't have as much juice. So so really, Oklahoma needs to root for because they don't have divisions. So they just take the two best teams to play in the big 12 championship game so they just need tcu or somebody to win out and so that they have a ranked team to play i think oklahoma wins roll wins out they're in um you know they, they would certainly be in if they went out because even their loss to iowa state doesn't look so bad now I, iowa state's no. pretty good yeah you know, state, so they got they got oklahoma state they got tcu and they got kansas and west virginia yeah, i agree with you if they can even i mean they can't drop anything else but if they went out then i would right. agree. they they are they would be the team to put in um, I think the last two might be like Ohio State and, or maybe Clemson. not even last two. I mean, Ohio State could be like second going in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if everybody wins out and it holds form, uh, an SEC champion will be in Alabama yep. or Georgia. Right. Um, you'll have Clemson in, you'll have Oklahoma in, and you'll have Ohio State in. And then the question would be, what do you do with Notre Dame? Can you, do you push Notre Dame if they went out ahead of Oklahoma, Clemson, or Ohio State? I'd be yeah. shocked. That would be that would yeah. be interesting. That would be really interesting. That'll be the tricky part. Yeah. Right. All righty. Good stuff. It's uh, again. We we spent ten minutes talking about a poll that's meaningless, but I think it's important <laughs> to remember how that how that how that thing works. And I know it's something everybody wants to talk about, so I'll get a little bit of attention. All right. Uh, we will do our three things for the game at Iowa coming up a little bit later. Uh, coming up next, we'll be joined by Mark Morehouse, Cedar Rapids Gazette. We will get a preview of the Hawkeyes. But before we do that, I want to remind you: be sure and visit Eleven Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers and more drygoods.11warriors.com and new merch is coming there do we have anything up right now or is it coming i think it's still coming uh just uh you know we still got the, the holidays thing which are say in have it for the holidays right oh yeah i think that should be in before then absolutely yeah 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 so okay. we've got the hoodies up and you know they're a little snug so make sure you guys like maybe get a size up that might help you out a little bit uh but they are very nice i got one myself and they're they're excellent 
Well, that's nice that you, it's good that you let the people know size up. Yep. Size up, size up kids. All right. Mark Morehouse coming up next. All right. Time to get into a little breakdown of this game between the Buckeyes and the Hawkeyes. We are joined by one of the very best to cover Iowa football. It's Mark Morehouse, Cedar Rapids Gazette. Um, you know, I, I am reminded, you know, when, when I think about, I, I know they're going to wear special uniforms over here. You get all jacked up for that. You got a three thirty kick. I'm reminded of Penn state there earlier this season. I'm reminded of Michigan there last year. Penn state survived. Michigan didn't. This is a, this is a boy. This is a trap game as if there ever is one for Ohio state mark with, with the win over Penn state and then Michigan state coming the week after what's the feeling uh, in Iowa with, with the Buckeyes coming to town this weekend. I, I hate to say house money, but uh, it really kind of has to be that way for Iowa yeah. because, you know, obviously they're, you know, they're not playing for the big 10 West really uh, unless Wisconsin absolutely falls off the map. Uh, the, the uniform thing is there. It's not a night game, but Kinnick stadium can be sticky for anybody. I remember uh, you guys probably remember too, 2011 Michigan game. Uh, Brady Hoke came in was the year they went to the uh, uh, sugar bowl. They're actually a good team, Michigan team. I think I can say that in this podcast. That was actually a good <laughs> Michigan team, but, uh, but, but I, uh, Iowa came in or Michigan came into Kinnick and Iowa beat them. I don't get that vibe yet from this team, but you know what? Uh, I've I've seen this team do weird things, and uh, and this group of players do weird things, and so I wouldn't put it past them. I just don't anticipate it. So okay, one of the things that has always fascinated me as an outside observer about Iowa football, and I I, I really love the idea of Iowa football being good. Um, I think one of my favorite games that I watched uh, Iowa play was against Georgia Tech, and they, they they were able to shut them down that that big bowl game. And I just I enjoy that kind of conflict of the you know the Midwestern kind of football playing against other types. But anyway, what I I have really wanted to understand, I guess, is the mentality that has such an attachment either through the administration or the fans or whoever to Kirk Ferentz in general. Uh, and then specifically, I guess, as a coach and what he brings to the program, because he has a contract extension that goes through, I think, like 2048 or 2057, something like that. <laughs> Got about a $12 trillion buyout. What? I don't know who the hell is going to be coming Is there like me. a, is it a Stockholm syndrome? <laughs> is, it a, is it a lack of, you know, attention? Like what, what is the desire to keep him there until he's like literally in, you know, the grave? That is the the millions of dollar question. I think it's there's <laughs> several shades of the of an for an answer. One, he runs a clean program, and okay. there's rarely anything embarrassing to coming out of this. Um, they they went through some pretty serious off field stuff. Basically, they had Michigan State's year off field year, the horrible off field year in 2007. So they you know they that that happened a little bit sort of out of this the crazy psycho 29 hour a day news news cycle right. kind of dodge a bullet in that so they 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 um runs a clean program uh players i mean this team uh, you know credit where credit's due this team they, it, it's news it's huge news here when somebody has a drunk driving and they haven't had one of those for a long time so the players aren't out terrorizing the the the, the, the community it's it's a uh, it's it's runs a you know a gentlemanly program and I, you know, I cringe. I know people hear that. And what about winning? <laughs> you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a part of things for Iowa that, you know, I had a one-on-one with Ferentz years ago. And part of being Iowa's coach, in my opinion, you know, having 
lived here for 20 whatever years, blah, blah, blah. You Losing is an element for being the Iowa's football coach. It just is. I mean, Iowa doesn't wake up and roll out of bed and win 10 games every year. It's just not It's not like that. Uh, so losing is an element, how you handle it, and then the buildup to something decent, something big. Um, you can argue 2015, 2015 came out of nowhere, but that's in the bank. Last year was – Last year was an eight-win, eight-win year for Iowa. That's good. That's that's a good. You know, Iowa fans are probably cringing and throwing rocks and garbage, but that's that's the reality at Iowa. It's you know, it's a seven and a half-win team a year. Uh, the administration likes how Ferentz runs things, and b- believe it or not, back in the early 2000s when Iowa was uh, 2002, Iowa was uh, eight and zero in the Big Ten for the first time in 80 years, and then in 2000. Three, they had a 10-win team. 2004, they they won a share of the Big Ten title. Much easier to win the Big Ten title back then, but they won big, and there was a huge market for Kirk Ferentz's services. I mean, Michigan, uh, they called. I, I know Penn State called. No one will ever admit that, but Penn State was on the on the trail of. Uh, I think it was probably the Bill Bryant. Well, it's obviously the Bill Bryant hire. That that's that cycle. Ferentz was in that, and then oddly enough, I think that the the uh, the job that almost got him to leave was the Jacksonville Jaguars back in, uh, I want to say, it was either the winter of 2002 or, the, or 2003. And that probably would have been a very, very coach, uh, a Kirk Ferentz team to go to NFL-wise. But uh, there was a huge market for his his services. And there continued to be, probably up until like the last, you know, probably before this contract was signed. I'm, I'm not sure people are calling anymore, but it's because he's 62. More because he's 62 and he's been at Iowa for almost 20 years. <laughs> so, long answer, um, uh, it's a fit. It's a fit, and Iowa likes what he's done, and they've rewarded him. There was a huge market for his services. That drove the price up. And that's just kind of how, you know, Iowa's the, sort of that turd in the punch bowl when it comes to national coach salaries and that, you know, what about this guy again? And then you you lay out the reasons and still people roll their eyes. What about winning? Well, yeah, they're working on that. <laughs> you know, Mark, I, I'm I'm probably one of the few who gets and I think the reason or I think I understand it. I think you you you've you've heard the Clint Eastwood line, a man's gotta know his limitations. I mm-hmm. think Iowa football knows its limitations. I mean, they're not they, they don't have the amenity, they don't have the natural resources from a recruiting standpoint. They don't have the amenities that Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State have. Like if, if you can win the Big Ten every once every ten years, you win ten, eleven games two or three times a decade. Fantastic. Like look at how quickly I guess what I'm saying is is like it's good that they have him because look what can happen. I mean, look at Illinois. Like you can fall off a cliff. You can fall off a mm-hmm. cliff. Iowa has been largely relevant during his entire tenure. That's pretty good. There's a lot of programs that have similar amenities, similar proximity to talent that can't claim that. I mean, look at what's happened at Nebraska even the last mm-hmm. 15 years. I mean, you can fall off a cliff in some of these big state schools. And so the stability of him, while while people look at the salary and say, well, he should win like Urban, well, that's not realistic. I mean, he's not at Ohio State. You know, like it's a tougher right. job. So I, to me, I, I, to me, I think it makes sense. And I think, you know, they, they probably, there's still a ton of passion in the program, I'm sure. And, and any, I've, I've only been out there once, but it was spectacular. And, and so he delivers that. So I, I think it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, they are not, 
they're not a pushover and they're not Illinois and they're not what Purdue used to be. Now we know it. We, now we have to think of Purdue differently. I'm trying, I'm yeah. trying, I'm trying, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there, you guys. But, uh, uh, there, there is the, uh, the disaster factor and that, that's part of it too. I mean, yeah, they had 2012. Iowa was four and eight. It was a disastrous team. They changed coordinators and things really fell apart. Uh, but yeah, it's been pretty much disaster proof on and off the field. And, you know, I, I say that knock on wood. If anything weird happens, I'm screwed this week. But um, I, I, um, I, I do think that there's a comfort factor, and I, yeah. I know Iowa fans are going to hate me for saying that. But you know, it's uh, we saw it Saturday night in the press box. I mean, I think probably Brian Ferentz is probably going to be the next coach at Iowa. He has a blow up in the press box. It's very, very public. It's very, very loud. Very profane. Um, I think that's the difference. That's that's another reason why Iowa holds on to Kirk Ferentz, and that that stuff doesn't happen. He might you might see him bleep the words on television. Yeah, it's on television. No one can hear you. No one can hear you in space. No one can hear you on the sideline. Uh, they can certainly hear you in a press box. So I think there's 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 none of that. He's Mr. Rogers. I mean, yeah. Kirk Ferentz is Mr. Rogers. He's you're not going to be embarrassed by you know he's not going to be drinking beer with coeds. He's not going to be flipping off cameras. He's not going to be doing any weirdness. So. There is that Iowa values that. How much they should value that, I don't know, but they do value that. Let me. Uh, the, the, you, you said house money earlier uh, for Iowa in this game. Ohio State's coming off a big one, obviously, and you know they're mm-hmm. chasing national titles, and JT Barrett's chasing Heisman's, and that, that's where they are at this point in their season. If, if there's a roadmap for for Iowa to cash in that house money and and spring an upset on Saturday, mm-hmm. what what type? In your mind's eye, what's the roadmap for an Iowa up, Iowa upset? Oh, let me see. Um, good Barring JT Barrett getting on the plane, of course. Right, three three and outs. Uh, three and outs will become gold, I think, for Iowa. And uh, I think the more rope this defense allows JT Barrett to have, uh, the more he's going to tie him up and uh, throw them down the stairs. I mean, it's just going to be. Uh, a bad deal. I, I think ex- explosive plays. I mean, Iowa's defense is really built to catch speed, and this is the ultimate speed catching. Uh, and can they be disruptive? I think three and outs are important. I think getting off the field in a relatively short period of time for the defense is it's important. One that it gives the offense a chance. Play counts have really when when when, think, when Iowa has gone wrong this year, play counts have just stacked. Uh, against the defense, and the defense is still throwing punches at the end for the most part, but uh, I think get off the field if you're the defense. If you're the offense, stay on the field. That's really, it sounds simple. I'm just boiling it down to uh, a time issue. I mean, if I was give Ohio State time, Ohio State's going to have, you know, figure out a way to run around them. So defense, get off the field. Offense, uh, string together drives. I think I personally think the quick passing game has to be a real thing for Iowa this week. They they're not really built that way. I think the tight ends could add to that, but uh, I don't see this team running the ball. I don't see Iowa running the ball against Ohio State unless there's some weird. Last year against Michigan, Iowa start Iowa figured out uh, two tight ends, two kind, just nondescript guys, walk-ons, hmm. and they were huge in that Michigan game. Quick uh, outside zones, quick one hitting. Quick hitting outside zones, uh, Akron Wiley's made for that kind of thing. So punish a, an over-aggressive defense because they think that everyone thinks they're going to eat against Iowa that way. And Ohio State will because Iowa's offensive line is just, you know, 
there I don't know how many teams in the country could stand to lose three se- three year starters, senior offensive tackles and live to tell about it. I was not really living to tell about it offensively. <laughs> but they did lose the three senior three year starters, senior offensive tackles and so the running game is kaput. Unless they find some sort of quick hitting uh take advantage of over aggression send Akram Wadley behind the defense type of uh, rhythm to the offense. And they, they haven't found that yet. Nate Stanley's a pretty good player, though. I think you guys you might – you'll see if Ohio State doesn't mob him. And, and hey, was it all four defensive ends were the uh, players of the game for the Buckeyes this week? Is that true? <laughs> they got, That's well, they, pretty but, good. Yeah, yeah they have an embarrassment good. of riches. Up front. So they're going to, yeah. you know, if it's not a party at the quarterback every other down, you're going to see the sh- a shell of a really good player at the beginnings of a quarterback who could, I think, lead Iowa to really good things. Mark, well, this was guess- great. We appreciate your time, buddy. I really do. This was uh, good stuff yeah. and enlightening. And um, I, I, I've only been out there once. I loved it. Uh, it's a great atmosphere. It's really great atmosphere. So uh, thank you for your time and, um, and joining us here on the program. Hey, I really enjoy your guys' website. I read it way more than you guys would probably think. And uh, <laughs> really, you no, know, seriously enjoy it. You guys do a great job. It's going to be, the, I think it's the future of uh, what a, how people are going to get their sports knowledge. They're going to get it from you guys who know, know your programs deeply. And you can tell them what they're seeing. I think that's beautiful. Keep, that, keep up the good work. Thanks, man. Thank you. You bet. Take care, you guys. I want to remind you, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. It would do uh, Johnny and I a great deal of, uh, of goodwill if you would do that for us. So we please ask you to do that. All right. It is, uh, look, it's Iowa week, right? So this was a game where I heard a lot of people at the beginning of the year say, boy, trap, trap, Kinnick at night. People thought it was going to be a night game, Kinnick at night, Kinnick at night, Kinnick at night. And I've seen good teams go in there. We saw Michigan do it last year and lose. We saw Penn State get out by the just just barely get out of there earlier in this season. So it can be tricky for teams. It's hard for me to see it being tricky for Ohio State on Saturday just because of the way that Urban refocuses teams and gets them you know, to really start to crescendo at the beginning of November and, and peak um, at the end of November. So I, I don't see an upset coming here. So as we get into the three things, the first thing for me is just fast start. Um, you know, Just come out with the rhythm that you finish the Penn State game on and keep that momentum going. I think they will. I think they'll go a lot of tempo quickly. Um, it, knowing the way that Urban goes about his business, I am sure that you will see JT Barrett come out slinging it, and they'll try to march down the field and be up fourteen to nothing halfway through the first quarter. That's that's the that'll be the script for Ohio State in this game. So I think fast start is key to not give Iowa any any chance of thinking they can play. Yeah, I think my first thing is kind of similar. Just no hangovers. Don't don't be too yep. uh, caught in the past. Penn State was great. It's over. You got a game to play. If they go in with the mentality that's a new week, they got to get you know keep establishing something, keep proving something to people. I think they'll be fine. But just no hangover. Just make sure that they're they're locked in and ready to go on a you know on a road game there. Number two for me on the it's stay with the offensive side. It's J.K. Dobbins. I, it was weird to me. I, I never got a clear answer. I don't want to stir a pot on anything, but I thought it, I saw. It, um, on Twitter, a few of the guys in the press box saying that there were times he was standing like away from the rest of the team. And mm-hmm. uh, it seemed to me like a couple of times he was maybe pissed off that he was not back out there running and they were giving carries to Mike Weber. Um, so, I, you know, Urban's not going to let that manifest. And I, I could be making things up completely. I haven't heard anything to lead me to believe that that there's more to it than that. But I just kind of inferred that maybe 
you know, he was bothered by not getting carries and stuff. And I believe emphatically that if they're going to win a national championship, he's got to be great. And, uh, and Weber needs to be a big part of that too, but I'd love to see Dobbins specifically. I'd love to see 180 out of him on, you know, 20 carries or something like that, really reestablish and get kind of him rolling the way he was at the early part of the year. Um, and I'll be curious to see how urban manages the running backs, but I'd like to see Dobbins with a big bounce back game at Iowa, maybe in the second half, really put this thing away behind the running and number two. Well, before I get to my second thing, I, I just want to address that real quick, because I got to tell you something. It was odd that he basically got no touches in the second quarter against Penn it. State. And, know. you know, people didn't really, I think, make a huge deal of it because Ohio State was doing pretty well in general. They yeah. were scoring points. And, and I think, you know, Weber was a big part of that, obviously. But I, it was odd. It was strange watching that. So I, I'm with sure you. Was. I want him to get reestablished. My did anybody thing, address though, it? Real yeah, quick, did anybody address it? Anything, it felt like a phantom suspension, honestly, because yeah. was, you, would, you would think at that point in the game you'd want him there. My only thinking is that maybe they were really hoping to maybe shore up their, uh, you know, like their uh, their offensive line or just the, to be able to deflect on blocking with the pass rush or whatever. But yeah. uh, that, was, that was it. That's the only thing I can think of as to why Mike yeah. Weber got the lion's share of the work in the second quarter. I saw so. Doug Maurice and he doesn't stir stir the pot just to stir the pot. He's a pretty straight shooter. Right. And and I saw him tweet that JK was like away from the rest of the offense. With yeah. his helmet off, not like not ready to get in right away. And I thought, yeah, it doesn't add up right. So look, we always said there's gonna be a problem like managing the ego. I thought it would maybe be Mike Weber's that would be a problem, but now Dobbins feels like maybe he should get 20 carries a game. Meantime, here's Weber, who's now getting split, you know, they're splitting carries. So something to watch. Just something to watch for. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. My second thing is just I want to see – look, K.J. Hill had an incredible game against Penn State. I want to see him continue that. If, if we're talking about a guy – I don't really care if uh, J.T. Barrett goes out and throws for 300 yards. It's not something that I really want to see. I mean, I just want him to be good. I don't want him to see him you know, throwing a bunch of dumb you know, interceptions or something like that. But to me, I want to see a wide receiver – and at this point, I want to be KJ Hill because of how he performed in the last game. But I want to see a wide receiver get established and start to become a threat. And this is what I want to see towards the end of the season, because when you play Wisconsin, when you play Michigan, when you play in the Big Ten Championship, you want to force the other team to account in their secondary for a wide receiver as opposed to being able to just kind of spread it around. And he could be that dude. So it starts, in my opinion, with this game. He, he rolls and keeps establishing and doing what he was doing against Penn State. Uh, he starts to be a threat. People start to know his name a little bit, and that can change how people have to play defense against Ohio State. So that's what I want to see. Finally, for me, and it's kind of goes to this is more overreaching. It's this is nothing that's going to reinvent the wheel, but it's it's a look the part thing, right? Like you you feel like after Penn State that you can play with anybody. Uh, no one's going to forget the Oklahoma game. It happened. It's it, you can't act like it didn't. But after Penn State, you feel like okay, this they look like a team. That because I think a lot of Penn State and I so they look like a team that can hang, you know, with Bama and and can win a national title. And so I, I think it's really important for them to continue to look the part over the course of the next month because the, 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 they're probably going to win out, um, mm-hmm. and 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 they're going to win a Big Ten. And we haven't had one of those in a while, so that'll be nice to win a Big Ten should that happen. Um, so be nice to win a Big Ten. But but this is really about the college football playoff, and it's about building towards that. And Urban is better than anybody at having teams feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And that's why that loss to Clemson was so shocking last year. Not that they lost, but just the way that they did. So 
I want to see a confident team like in 2014 that got better each week. And you think about that suffocating performance in 2014 against Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. To me, let's see if this let's see if this season can continue to mirror that season and Ohio State gets better and better each week. Because there's certainly an opportunity here for a fallback game and a sluggish game. It would be in the cards and it would be something that's expected. Let, let's see if we can avoid that and really look the part of a team that can play for a national championship. Yeah, I to me, my third thing is put this game away in the second quarter. Just yeah. don't let it like, – seriously, don't let it go on. I'm with you. It, yeah. Once it gets dark, weird things happen. Just put yep. it away before the sun sets. Everybody will be happy. Don't let Stanley get any kind of rhythm. Just just nail it. Just shut it down, and then you're good. But, uh, yeah, to me, it's put it away in the second quarter and, and not have to worry about the second half. Yeah, that's ideal. You're right. And it'll look cool on TV as it starts to get dark there. And if they block oh, yeah. out the stadium, which I think they're going to do, and then they're going to wear like that basically all black look. So, right. Don't um, let weird it's stuff look happen. Cool. It does weird. All right, we got time for any Ask Us Anything. Do we have any? Yeah, we've got one quick Ask Us Anything. You guys continue to send in your Ask Us Anything questions where you can ask us literally anything to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. We have... One question this week from our good friend Alvin, and he wants to know, and this is a very important question because it is Halloween as we record this. That's right. Um, So he wants to know, what is the best and worst trick-or-treating candy? Well, so... I have many opinions on this, by the way. Yeah, there's a lot of ways (laughs) to go here. Um, You know, I think the best... It would all just be your personal preference, but I mean, I guess if you're doing like the the number one, like what's this? Probably the best. Trying to think, like what's the Berkshire Hathaway of candy? And it's probably like <laughs> peanut M and M's, right? Those I mean, are, that's eh. universally liked. Like there are people, there are people going to come on strong on sure. Reese's peanut butter cups, or but I'm not. You know, I wouldn't put them. People come hard on Snickers or Twix, or you know, some. I know people who love almond joy, whatever. So I mean, there there are all these things. But I don't know anybody who, if you hand them a peanut M&M, goes, nah, I'm good. I mean, everybody takes a peanut M&M, right? So it's like the safest. It's the Berkshire Hathaway of candy bars. Like they're, It's very they're good. Always, it's never going to be a problem. So Here's I think to I'd me, say, though. If, you to get me a, if you get the a peanut best M&M, candy, though, you know, win. Well, to me, the best candy, though, is a candy that you do not normally get or cannot normally get. Uh, in your regular life. So if you're just going around, you're going to the movie theater, you can get peanut M&Ms. You can get, you know, sour. Like, you can get the 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 Sour Patch Kids and all the other stuff. Okay. When I went out for trick-or-treating, I always made a very special point to make sure that I went to the houses that I knew would give me stuff that I couldn't get otherwise, period. So there aren't caramel apples, for example, just sitting around all over the place that I could get. There wasn't cotton oh, candy yeah. just sitting around, at least when I was a kid where I was at, that you could just go and get. So I knew that there was a house with a cotton candy machine that I would hit every Halloween. Had to go there. There was a house that gave out caramel apples with like, you know, dipped in nuts and stuff. It was delicious. I always had to go there. So for me, I personally think the best Halloween candy is a, is a caramel apple because I, I have great memories of the only time the entire year I got to have one was on Halloween night. So for me, that's what. Johnny, you, a, a caramel apple is from a bygone era. Of course, well, a caramel apple's spectacular. There yeah. used to be a lady in our it, the, w- that we would go to who would do chocolate donuts, homemade. Oh man, spectacular! Of yeah. course, a caramel apple or a, or a, a caramel ball like the caramel popcorn. Oh ball, yeah, that's spectacular. But as a parent of children, if somebody handed <laughs> my kid a caramel apple now, 
there ain't no way in hell they're eating it. Well, because we live in a new world. Right. So, so you, this was an homage to your youth, sir. Yeah. Like that, that, that is not a realistic, that that's, <laughs> it's 2017, buddy. That's true. We, we can't be Fair getting point. cotton candy and caramel apples and caramel corn anymore. It all has to be prepackaged and hermetically sealed. There's yeah. no, you know, I'm sorry, buddy. You'll find this out when you have children that the caramel <laughs> apples over sadly. That's a shame. And that's, that's yeah. a, that's a huge shame because those are some yeah. of my favorite memories as a kid is getting those yes. and just thinking that I was king of the block. You'd kill so. to get a caramel apple. Now I would kill to get a caramel oh. apple and a chocolate donut. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Instead of all these mini candies that you get, I'll tell you the worst. I do not understand. I've never seen anybody eat the, the candy corn. I ever. love, I, I don't love candy. You corn. Like I, them? I don't love it. I eat it Love habitually it would be because bold. I can't stop myself, but I'm fine with it. I think it's okay. Really? I just I think, think it's okay. dreadful. I think it's fine. It's it's dreadful. it's sugar wax. I'm cool with it. Like it's it's yeah. edible. It sits in my stomach. I don't Fair die right. when I eat it. You know, I'm Fair fine right. with it. It's Fair not right. some it's not some abomination that I hate. There are a couple of things that I like refuse. What to, do you hate? Well, what are the I can't I can't even place the name, but I was thinking about this all day because you know, kids are talking about like, you know, they're taking yeah. their you know little brothers and sisters out trick-or-treating and i'm like man what is something i did not want to get and they're not mike and ike's but they're like the the licorice version of mike and ike's you know what i'm talking about they're like purple yeah, and white pink, and pink and yeah pink and white and purple oh my god those are the those worst are things i hate that's yeah, that's great. like that's like somebody just basically painted pencil erasers and then gave them to kids and said yeah that's food you can eat that one of them's like the color of pepto-bismol yes like the pink true pink yeah. Yes, I hate them. I absolutely hate. Them. I don't know why anybody would willingly put that in their mouths. I think it's disgusting. I, I can yeah. co-sign that. That's up there. Yeah, that's those up are. There. I don't disagree. And the, I don't... the the peanuts, the circus peanuts, that's awful. Those are just styrofoam. So, and and which <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I'm a huge hypocrite because I'm having, I'm, I'm, you know, eating did defend of this, candy uh, corn. candy corn, but I won't touch the circus peanuts. So. Yeah, yeah, that I'm seemed to person. contradict. I think if you don't like the circus peanuts, I don't know how you could like the candy corn, but I'll I let it slide this time. My I'm an enigma wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in a cotton candy wrapper, I guess. Fantastic. I, I love that you went to a place at a cotton candy machine. <laughs> um, we want to thank Mark Morehouse for joining us on the program this week. We will be back next week. We're discussing the game against Iowa, getting you set for that noon kick uh, with Michigan State. Uh, you know, we haven't even talked to save the crew. There's lots of stuff that we want to talk oh, that I want man. to talk about. with. You and they're playing right now. They're Sunday. dominating. They're kicking the crap out of New right. York. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that we, and then I also want to talk about the fact that apparently, and this is an interesting thing to watch over the next two weeks, guys, as we sign off, we'll discuss it a little more next week, but apparently there's a big problem with people not buying tickets to Michigan state or Illinois. Oh yes. I have many takes on that. I'm excited yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, 165 bucks for Michigan state might have something to do with it. That could right. have something to do with it. Yes, perhaps. Uh, so we'll get into that. We'll get into that next week. Good stuff out of you, my friend. We'll talk next week. Yep. Sounds good. See you next week.